TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Dr. Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by one of my favorite people, a That Paleo Show regular, Leah Follett. Welcome to the show, Leah. My darling, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. So good to have you on. I don't even really need to do an introduction for you. You've been on, how many times have you been on the show now? Like three times, I reckon? I'm not counting. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea, really. Well, I reckon there's been three already and, and hopefully many more to come. So I'm not going to waste too much time doing an introduction on you because everyone will already know you. And if they don't, then they're about to find out all about you. And I know that we've only got limited time to do this podcast. You know, we've only got half an hour (laughs) and I know how much you like to talk. So we're just going to basically get straight into it, Leah. The reason I've got you on today, particularly, not that I really need a reason, but today is because you've just written an amazing new book called Autistic to Artistic. And I'm loving talking to you all about it. It's an amazing book. So first of all, congratulations. Well done, Leah. Oh, thank you. It was such an easy process to write the book, but getting it published was really hard. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate to that. It's, it's quite a process to go through to get a book into the market. Hence, my last book was just an e-book, but I'm now having to go through the process of publishing that as well because everyone keeps asking for it. So <laughs> that's what happens. We can't even get away with it. But Leah, your book is fantastic, and really it goes through your entire journey from start to finish. I was joking to you before, it's, it's almost got as many chapters as my book, How to Eat an Elephant, which is quite funny. Um, so, but it really goes through your story right from the start, the journey you've gone on personally, the journey you've gone on with your kids, um, and it's a fantastic story. It's an amazing journey. You're an amazing lady. Um, but tell us, a, tell us a bit about your background. Let, let's go back. We've probably heard some of it on the show before, but it'd be really good to rehash, I think, and and talk a bit about your journey and where you started from. So let's start there, Leah. Tell us about yourself. Oh, specifically, am I starting with children? Am I starting there? Oh, I reckon you or... can start even before there, Leah. You were, okay, you well, were let, an let's go back. Okay. So if someone picks up my book, firstly, they'll see that each chapter is um, written in a narrative form. So the first part of my book is specifically where I was, what I was doing in a short story form so that people can see the real world experience of what was going on. So for today's purposes and for my book, I start back when I was born and all the things that happened to me. So I had really high um, incidents of asthma attacks and a lot of them ended up, you know, with me in hospital, uh, on steroids, on medications. And in my book, I go back and I readdress the reasons why I probably, what were the contributing reasons to my ill health as a young child and then I've brought people through, you know, um, conception and then also puberty for me and then what happened in my life and how I looked after my body before I ended up having my children and the impact that ended up having on, you know, like the, my, my beautiful boys. And because I did, I gave birth to beautiful children, but because of their genetic up and predisposition, I suppose, uh, they just started hoarding in, like, chemicals in the environment and things, when I say chemicals, I mean things that I thought were safe. So normal cleaning products, uh, preservatives in, say, a few foods and there's some medications. Their little bodies held onto those chemicals and I increased the burden in their body. 
to a point where I feel that that contributed to um, finally getting, you know, autism diagnoses for a, like a solid, confirmed, um, moderate autism diagnosis for my first child and then a sensory processing disorder and ADHD for my second child. So essentially the book and everything I've done to now has been reversing the symptoms or the expression of those two imbalances to a point where my children are now recovered and in so doing that for them I didn't love myself enough to do and create the change in my own life but once you have children you work very very hard for them and it was just funny that I was so lazy I you know like I made dinner for them I made special little things for them and because of my laziness or my tiredness or whatever it is instead of making the foods that I preferred and I used to eat and the things I used to thrive on I slowly switched over to what was a nourishing diet for them and assimilated that. And then my autoimmune disease, my health, my weight, my hormonal balance, everything just started to flow more beautifully for me. And, I mean, they, they, they saved me. Having to, being forced to change and stand up and look at what they needed to thrive and actually putting that into practice and changing my whole household to heal them, I ended up healing myself. So that's essentially what my book is about. It's about that journey and all the little side routes that we've taken to get there. I've included all my mistakes, my downfalls, the information that was incorrect, I suppose, for my body and for my family. So readdressing where I got the information from, what I now believe and what I now know, as well as the practical application that I've put in place in my family and in my home and in my lifestyle. And well, you're a big part of that, Dr. Brett. Oh, well, it's such an amazing journey. It's such an amazing story. And... I feel like I came in quite late. Like, I'm looking at some of the pictures within the book. First of all, you were super cute when you were little, just that little tartan dress. Like, such <laughs> a cute like little that? photo. That, that was my school uniform. I was like, oh, what a cutie. Um, but even just, you know, the photos of yourself, you know, they're, they're unrecognisable from the person that I first met when I, I first got to know you. So you'd I obviously know. gone a, a fair way along your journey by the time you ran into me. Um, so it's it's fabulous to be able to look through that and to see that and to see those changes and the challenges and you know as I said the, the thing I love about you Leah is you're just very real you know you you don't hold any punches you don't uh, you know wash over any of your failures or perceived failures at least um, you know you, you don't hide from the fact that you know there there are times that you haven't been as happy with the way you've behaved as you would like to be you know you you really uh -huh. just put it all out there which I think <laughs> is wonderful so. Good on you for that, and, and that just makes it all the more powerful. So, you know, for those who haven't had the pleasure of reading the book and, and who are curious about it, um, you know, I'd love to go into, you know, maybe some of your top steps. You know, what, what do you think were some of the keys for you in terms of those changes you made for yourself, uh, but also for your kids? Like I said, there's so many of them in the book, but if we can just pick a few and pull them apart a little bit. Um, okay. What do you think are the keys, Leah? Okay. The key is identifying that you do actually need to change and that you are the one in control, you are the one in that place of power and ultimately that lies on, on your shoulders. A lot of people like to busy themselves with other things and I'm too busy to change, I've got too much going on with work, too much with the kids, you know, they've got all these hobbies going on. I was the queen of ridiculous hobbies. I know how to go out to a paddock, shear an alpaca, spin it into fibre and then knit it into a pair of socks. You know, like, who does that? You know, like, why would my time be best spent doing that? Yes, it's a brilliant skill to have. I'm, you know, can comb out burrs like nobody's business. But 
why is that and why did I invest all my time in doing little things like that when I should have been looking at, you know, the inner self and looking at what my food was doing to my body and what I was using as far as personal care products, even the alignment. It was too much. It was so much more important for me to sit there on a spinning wheel being hunched over and out of alignment than it was to go and see a chiropractor or an osteo or, you know, all those other healing modalities. So identifying firstly that something needs to change and sometimes we have to have a look at what's really serving us. Yes, the creative self is highly important and you know, very, um, oh, it's needed in, in today's society. We don't enjoy enough of that creative fun self. But at the same time, we can do that and experience it in a much more fulfilling manner when we are well, when we are eating, when we're resting, when we feel good, when we can move freely. So that's probably the number one most important thing is identifying that change needs to happen and it needs to happen with you first. So I set about changing my kids' diet and lifestyle first and then for me it sort of flowed on and I caught up to that eventually. But it would have been so much better if I loved myself enough to say, you know, eat better. I would have responded to their transitional and behavioural issues in a much more calm manner than what I did. So supporting myself, supporting the mum and the dad or the grandparents or whoever is the caregiver, supporting them, making sure they're well first before implementing any of these other things because some of my failures I might not have had as failures. I might have been able to see that, no, that doesn't serve me at this point in time. I would have made another choice. I was in a place of scramble for most of our journey and now only looking back at it, if I had a decent nice split night's sleep or I had nutrient-dense food, or I was moving freely without pain, then all of those things would have made my choices so much more easier. I, I wouldn't have been feeling that much emotional and physical static that I would have been able to read my gut instincts better. So yeah. that's probably the starting point for, for many. And, you know, none of them were failures, Leah. You know, they no, were all learnings along your journey and, uh -huh. you know, that have... The, the stuff that you've been through and the stuff that you've learned is what's allowed you to write this incredible book that's going to help so many people. So, you know, I think it's fabulous. I think it's great <laughs> that you've gone through that and that you've learned those lessons. And we all have our own lessons to learn and our own ways of learning them. And, you know, and the other thing I think is that you never stop, you know, that, no. that we all have stages. And you're stages. never finished. You know, I've, I've just gone through, you know, a stage of my life just recently where there's been a lot of stress going on. And, and just recently, reading a book that I got lent by or got recommended by Lawrence Tam, and I was reading through this book, realizing that that in this time of stress, that I've gone away from doing all the things that I know I should be doing, and then haven't been doing them to the degree that I usually am. And and so it's once again, it's that rediscovery of okay, hang on, I need to take my own advice here. You know, I need to to start focusing on that again. And and I think there is that sort of there's a constant state of flux with that, isn't there? You know, it's not something yeah. that you do and fix and then it's fixed. It's something that you work on for the rest of your life and, and as your situation changes then you have to change and evolve with it and you know there are times in your life where sitting in a corner knitting might be exactly what your body needs and there'll be other times right. in your life when you're using <laughs> that as a you know a crutch or a comfort yeah. or, a, a, or an yeah, escape from mechanism. other things that perhaps you should be doing so yeah um you know i think it's really important to to for people to understand that that is such it's so important and it's such an important journey it and it's and it's a journey without an end it is, absolutely. But don't you hate the kick in the pants? Don't you hate that realisation when you actually look at yourself and go, oh, how on earth? I know this stuff. I preach this stuff. I am this stuff. I tell this to my clients all yeah. the time. 
And then you look at yourself and you go, oh, where did that fall off? Where yeah. on earth did I lose that? I dropped that somewhere. I've got to go back and pick that up. It's like bittersweet at the same time. It's ridiculous. Like I was literally sitting there going, how did I write a book called How to Eat an Elephant? And now I'm actually re- recognizing that there's some small steps I need to take to start getting myself back on track. Like, this is insane. <laughs> <laughs> but it it's amazing. is. But, but, you know, but what I realized is that as much as I'd applied those really well to the food stuff and to the exercise stuff, that I hadn't always as consistently applied it to perhaps the mental side of things. And that's been the shift to me in the last little bit, which has been really cool. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Those so epiphanies so that we're loving in. ourselves, mm. Leah. We're realising that we're in charge. And I think that is We are in charge. We so are important. creators, masters. We are, yes. So now that we love ourselves oh, and now that we're in charge, what are we going to mm. do about that? What are the next steps that we need to take? Well, for me, it was finding my community. For me, it was finding someone, a mentor. So I really, really like having that one-on-one experience where I can watch and learn from someone. And growing up, I don't think I had that. I had that until my grandmother passed away when I was really young. But after that, you know, my matriarch had gone. And because I had no one else, you know, fulfilling that role and showing me how to do things for the rest of my life up until this point, um, I, I've lost that um, ability to sort of check in and observe and learn through um, other people and what they've done before. I, yes, I've picked up some, you know, observations, but they're usually fear-based ones. They're usually, oh, well, that doesn't that doesn't work and that doesn't mm-hmm. serve me. But I'm talking more about the practical things like how to do fermented veggies, you know, like how do you, you know, start making homemade this and homemade that. And you, that sort of person, that sort of community, someone that's going to take you under their wing and nurture your spirit, your heart and, and show you the way. That's that's such an important thing, that you're not alone, that you don't have to read all the books. We have a, a healing community of holistic practitioners as well as, you know, the energetic modalities and they all come in together and they all speak and take turns each week and each month teaching us something that they've learnt about their path and their journey within their modality and just having that community around me means that I don't have to go chasing down and reading every book. I've got someone else that I can rely on that can teach me and show me and hold my hand. So it's not that overwhelm. I don't have to start from scratch. Someone's mm. there. So that's and probably the next thing. Isn't that just something we've lost as a society? You know, I know I've talked a number yeah. of times on this show about my holiday I went to to the Solomon Islands and just how they just really had the philosophy of the community raising the child and how they would all just chip in and, and take mm. part in the child raising and the child care and and that sort of that helpful, supportive growth environment, that learning environment of just being within that tribe, just how wonderful that is and, and how that seemingly is just such a natural part of, you know, important growth and development for really for any species. You know, we, we see this when we look in nature, don't we? So mm-hmm. it's something we've really lost as a human species. We've become so isolated from often our own family, let alone the rest of our well, community. We- we do. You just have to look at the way we do our shopping. We shop for one. We shop for one family, for one person. We, you know, to, where we, you know, very rarely do we get together and actually spend time in that space with other people. We're all just too busy, just running in that, you know, in the little wheel. We're all just sort of stuck in that sort of space. And you know, like if if you're just running on that same treadmill, going round and round and round circles, yeah. you don't get to step outside and look at those other experiences and observe from the people that are oh no you've dropped out Leah oh are you back I am 
back. Oh, you disappeared. <laughs> I did disappear. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I disappeared. Yeah. My baby sister was ringing me and kicked me off the call. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be mortified. <laughs> well, you're back, you're back now. You're I'm back now. So you're talking yeah. about tribe and community. Yeah, so, and making sure that you have that time to actually get out into the community. Well, this That's is the thing. Important. This is the thing. That was going to be my next question. So people will be sitting here listening to this and they're saying, well, how do I do that? You know, do I need to pack up my entire life and go live on a commune somewhere? Or, or is there, I is live there in a, a commune. Yeah. Or, <laughs> no, or, I don't. <laughs> or is there a way I can do that within my, you know, my more modern world where I can stay engaged with my oh, current life so yet still find that So many different support? places you can connect. I mean... I can't even remember. Where did I find you? I found you on Inst. No, I found you on Facebook. Oh, that's a bit scary. Yeah, yeah, I found you on Facebook. I (laughs) stalk you on Facebook. And and inside of that, I attended one of your seminars. And inside that was a, you know, a community of people that, that, you know, like have all got similar beliefs and ideals. And and in my way of thinking, if they're all huddled together and, and all nurturing each other, they've probably got the same illnesses, the same beliefs, they're looking for the same thing, the same journey, the same inspiration. So having them and sharing that load and sharing what you know in that small community. So I found you on Facebook. But, you know, like you can you can stalk anyone, anywhere, anytime these days and join a meetup group. Like that, how easy is that, that you just type in your special interest or what you're looking for and you're going to find someone. And if not, there's always community centres, the schools. There's, you know, your workplace might be your sense of community and purpose. It's whatever it is to you and wherever you feel most fulfilled. And that's the thing, I think. Like, we can tend to sort of um, loathe or denigrate the modern society and social media and, you know, because it can be very isolating, but... It's actually, it's not the medium that has that effect. It's it's the way you use it, isn't it? And and if you use it yes. in the right way, then it can actually Absolutely. open you up to the whole planet and find so many people who love what you do. And no matter how niche your hobby, your interest that you would love to do, because <laughs> you're exposed spinning. to the world, uh-huh. <laughs> there is a truckload of people who just love doing it and would Absolutely. love to talk to you about it and help you do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people that have walked that journey, they are so proud of what they've done. They are so willing to share with you and support you. And, you know, like you'll do that for the next person coming in. It's it's just the way that we were designed. That's how we learnt. Yeah, you know, absolutely. from those modern day early tools of watching the other person, watching the monkey next to you. You know, like my mum always used to say, monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. And I'm still doing that now. I'm 36 this year and I'm still doing that. I'm still looking and, you know, joining. And, and, you know, it might be that I only need to be in that community for a period of time before I work out that, oh, no, I know this. It doesn't serve me. I appreciate their time. And then I'm moving on to the next thing. You know, like mm. it's, it's always this period of growth and change that we need to make sure is always happening for us. As soon as it becomes stale and we become rigid in our thoughts and our movements and we're doing the same repetitive thing back to the, you know, the, the treadmill and the running in circles, as soon as that kicks in and we become stale, that's where we're not growing any further. So you've got to keep challenging and got to keep moving forward. And obviously, if you've found something that's working for you, bring as many people on the journey as possible, which is the reason why I wrote the book. It was, you know, I had lots of questions. I had to get it all down, had to get it all out. Because, I, you know, I love, I, my whole clinic is one-on-one. But mm. there are more people in the world there that need that help, love and support. So I put everything in the book. You know, I've got my heart in there. And I just want to support, love and nurture on people to get to the same point that I am. 
and hopefully between them catching up to me and getting what I know, hopefully I've learned something from somebody else that I can impart again. So it's part of that constant renew and, and knowing. Yeah, well, you're, you are such a lovely person, Leah, and it does shine through in the book that you do just love to nurture and to help people. And it's I wonderful. know, I'm and a mother hen. You are, and it's <laughs> wonderful. Everyone needs a few mother hens around them. It's just it's so nice to have those sort of people. I'm pretty good at hen pecking, though, too. You've got to watch that. Yeah, that's okay. We, we're used to that. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about some more about some of the strategies within the book. So, you know, obviously we've okay. realised that we need to love ourselves. We've... We've now right. found some people to help us on that journey. But in terms right. of, you know, I guess maybe some more tangible action steps. I know everyone always wants some more tangible right. action steps. So, what can people start to, to address and to look at if they want to make real change, particularly with their kids, if they have got kids struggling with these sort of issues? All right. Okay. Okay, number one in that space is change how you look at food. Change your understanding of where your food comes from and the connection you have with your food. Uh, we invest so much of our life, you know, from the emotional fears, burdens, beliefs that we have. And it's a really beautiful thing to see that the, the local farmer and his livelihood and his love and expectation, the way he's nurtured his plants and animals along it, their journey and through the production of your kitchen, know where your food comes on and love on that. I'm, I can guarantee you that if you know that journey and appreciate it wholeheartedly and then you're saying like a prayer or gratitude or grace before a meal or even discussing that journey with the children, I can absolutely vouch for the fact that I'm sure that my food and its healing capabilities has increased tenfold just because I set that intention and that love and purpose and I understand the full connection of everything and to see that and have that as a talking point with your kids, this is the reason why we choose this. This is the energetic potential within this food and this is why we've gone out of our way. We've made it part of our hobby to go and hunt, forage, gather. The, the best thing that serves our community as well as serving ourselves. Um, you know, like it's fresh, it's nutrient-dense, it's, it's live foods. So going out, finding the best sources that you can within your budget and if you're using, you know, sustainable type resources locally, they're often cheaper than what you're paying in the supermarket anyway and they become so much more a nourishing and healing food. It, you know, like that becomes your, your farm paddocks become your, you know, practitioner pantry almost. Making sure that you've got a good source of clean filtered water, if, you know, that there's a reason why we've got chlorinated water and it's to make sure that there's no... Uh, bacteria in there that kills our our well, that's going you know making sure that the bacteria in the water is safe for us to drink but we're also made up of bacteria so we need to make sure that if we're having that water if we're growing fermented foods if we're drinking and we're trying to reculture our body ecology and our microbiome that it's free from chlorine it's free from chemicals so making sure you've got a good source of water making sure that your circadian rhythms making sure that your your sleep cycles are at their best. So that may be turning off iPads at night time. So you've got a smoother transition from where you are, you know, in part of your day, setting up those rituals before you go to bed so you can have a deeper, more restful sleep once you get there. There's all these small little things that have a huge impact on, on, our, uh, on our recovery and our, you know, repair phases during our nighttime resting period and how then that affects the you know the rest of the day and for me that's a big one if you've got children with behavioral issues you want to be calm you want to be cool you want to be in that that space where you can react 
at each new um, obstacle that comes up in a new space rather than taking the, the negative fear and energy and the anger that you're holding from five minutes ago and building and escalating further on that. So there's all these tiny little things that you just put into practice just one by one. You know, like it's so much fun going to the markets and giving the kids pocket money and letting them choose the things that yes. they want to eat. You know, like it's, it's, I mean, who am I to tell my kids what they should and shouldn't be eating? If it comes from the paddock, if it comes from the farmer, if it hasn't been processed, they should be the kings of their own digestive system. If they want to eat a kilo of capsicum in a week, eat a kilo of capsicum in a week. There must be something in there that their little bodies are telling them on an innate instinct level that they need. So for me to just sort of say, oh, we're having this because mm. the price is better or we're having this because this is, you know, like they need to be and they need to be empowered to see themselves as their own practitioners, as their own healers, as knowing what's best for them because they're their internal reference point. When, we're, when they're older, I want them making choices for themselves rather than looking yes. to another point of reference and making a choice based off the person, you know, that's wearing the white coat. I mean, like I'm not anti a practitioner in Western medicine, there's a time and place for that. But if you're running to your doctor because you've got a runny nose or a constant chest infection and you're not addressing your food first and looking at your lifestyle first, then, of course, they're going to have to treat you with the means that they have and their education. And there are so many other things you can do to either prevent or heal yourself before you need that level of intervention. So my whole thing is that I'm nurturing my kids' understanding of food of listening to their body so when they do get older, they can make the best choice because what their their innate self, their gut instincts are telling them. I love it. It's beautiful. It's exactly what I talk about in Nourish Without Nagging. It's getting I haven't read that yet. I, I need to read that book. I'm sorry, I haven't read it. It's on the list it of things to do. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's about are getting you your, serious? Yeah, it's about getting your kids to love oh. eating healthy food. It's about letting your kids go and choose their own food. It's exactly the sort of stuff I talk about. So we're exactly we're always on the same wavelength, Leah. It's fantastic. I love it. I, that's brilliant. So check it out. You'll like it. So I will. Um, Leah, I want to go back a little bit, and I want to talk to you about um, the autism diagnosis, for want of a better Ooh. word. You know, because okay, there's obviously a phase there at some stage where you realise that something, I don't want to say wasn't quite right, but something was different about your child. Um, yeah. And that can be really challenging for parents and it can be really challenging then to A, identify that something's different, B, to okay. decide to yes. do something about it, you know, C, to then be given a diagnosis which can be seen as very daunting, sometimes negative. Um, so I'd love to hear how oh, you dealt with that okay. process because I think there are so many parents who need to hear it, how you dealt with that process, how it affected you and how you managed to come out the other side of that with a really proactive focus of, you know, we can take charge of this and we can start to look for solutions as opposed to succumbing to a diagnosis. Does that make sense? Oh, man. Yes, but you've only given me four minutes. I can do I a know. whole seminar on that. I know. We might have oh, that one, dear, oh, dear. Go. Okay. So, <laughs> go. Go now. Um, I suppose we come from a family that has a lot of autistic-like traits, a lot of similar health illnesses and issues. Um, my mum has Asperger's. It, that was only diagnosed after my children were diagnosed. I, so for me, looking at Mark's traits, looking at my mother, my grandmother, my grandfather, we all had these similar ways that we uh, coped or dealt with life. So in the development of watching William grow, I didn't realise that there was anything different with him. And 
I started to measure him and his traits against the other people in his classroom. So we had a very late diagnosis for him just because I was looking at my normal and thinking that was normal. And he stayed at home with me um, for quite a few years. And it was like, I, you know, I couldn't see. I couldn't see past what my fears or insecurities, how I was relating to the world. I didn't see there being anything wrong. And it wasn't until we got him into schools and teachers started sort of saying, oh, look, he's not hitting these milestones. Mm. And then I started looking and referencing the other mummies that were in our, you know, our um, antenatal classes and looking at their children that I actually started to realise that there were a few milestones that were missing. And as we got further along the journey, he got sicker and more chemically burdened, I suppose, because I think that that's, that was one of the major issues for William. As he got more toxic, um, you know, those, those milestones that he did have, he regressed in. And that's when we started to get really scared, when we started to see less and less of our child yeah. and he became less tolerant of foods. His immune system was crashing. He had these quirks and, and behaviours that were becoming more erratic, more um, anxiety-based. And we just understood less and less of him. He went from being cuddly to don't touch me. And it was, there was nothing we could do for him with our common, you know, our current knowledge. Hmm. And, and Leo, do you think any, was any part of that that you didn't want to see? Or do you think it is just that you didn't see? No, no. For me, it was, I could, I was happy to accept because I didn't cope. I didn't cope and it was, for me, it was like, oh my goodness, I'm not coping for a reason. There's something missing. So I was okay with that. Mm. But it was really hard to bring Mark, my husband, on the journey because he is an engineer. He's highly successful and revered in his mm. specific niche area. And for me to be saying those traits aren't normal, well, they're the things that made him a brilliant engineer and having him say, you know, like having him understand that we need to work on this and, you know, help reduce the burden those things were feeding our family at the same time mm. so that was probably the hardest thing making sure that both parents had this you know relationship of you know flow between them so we were both on the same page both moving towards you know the greatest outcome for our children but it was such a deeply ingrained um i don't know character traits within our family that it's you know like you can't really look and see your problems you know, yourself, you have to have someone else bring them to, to light for you. And for me, it was, you know, that, that community and then observing and, and being objective. And so that sort of brought everything to light. But, you know, like just seeing your child regress and then having another baby and seeing how violently he was reacting to his environment and see him regress, even though he was only three months old, it was like, okay, we've got to pull up stumps. We've got to do something now. And it was, you know, like we had no other choice. We had to do this and we had to drop everything we were doing. And just then, I mean, we found it was just perfect that we found the right practitioner for us at a conference and we handed it all over. I knew nothing. I have, I still have a very sketchy detail about, you know, the way the body works. I don't have a science background, but I had to put my faith in someone with that felt good, someone that I felt was going to lead me in the right direction and someone that was referred to us from another person, another mother within our community that could see those traits in my children that I couldn't. I had to hand it all over to them mm. and hope for the best. And after we started to see the gains and I started to uh, remove my stresses and my anxieties and I started to regain my health and my power, only then did I start the education process and actually start to unpick what we had done back in those first 12 months with our practitioners 
it was just, you know, the biggest mess of things but also the most perfect outcomes at the same time. It, you know, like they saved us. I wouldn't have known that there was a better me tucked away inside unless my children started to fail, unless they could not survive in this world without me making major changes to how I lived my life and my, you know, my everyday had to change to make my home this nourishing little sanctum that they could actually recover in. And, I mean, that even included homeschool, three years of homeschool because the anxiety and the um, chemical burden picked up outside of our home was even impacting our recovery. But that was part of the picture and, and I was given three years of beautiful time, one-on-one -on -one nourishing and learning with my children. And now they're back in a mainstream school and they are absolutely thriving. And I didn't ask them to go back to school. They wanted to go back to school. They were empowered and they knew it was the right thing for them. They wanted that that experience and they uh, craved that curiosity with other children whereas before they were just socially exhausted they couldn't handle another noise another movement another smell another sound and you know another anything in their sphere they essentially wanted to live in like a, a float tank they wanted to live mm. with no sound it was it was it was really hard but ultimately you know like we've done the hard work and we just kept looking and finding accepting that okay We've made mistakes here, but we were able through that to then move on and create this this life that we are now so blessed to have and everything is just working so well. There's nothing we can't handle because our our bodies are correctly aligned. We're, we're nurtured nutritionally, emotionally, spiritually. We're you know so in tune with that balance and we always try to come back and, and reassess where we are. Every you know, even every season we start to change again. You can just feel it. It's starting to get colder. You're eating different foods. Your exercise changes. Your sleep patterns are changing. You know, it's getting dark earlier. All those things need to be, you know, just noticed and worked within. You You don't work against your nature. You don't work against what everything that's going around on around you in a natural environment. You work with it in order to have those gains, in order to have that recovery. I love it, Leah. I think it's fantastic. I think that's probably an appropriate spot to us to stop, even though, as you said, we could go on for many more hours. I think we're just scratching the surface of the information you provide in your book, a bit like one of those free-range chickens on your beautiful farm there in New South Wales. We're, we're just scratching the surface, but there's so much more information there to be had. So if people want to find out more about you, they can go to leahfollett.com. That's L-E-A-H-F-O-L-L-E-T-T.com. Or they can go to the book website, which is awellfedheart.com, um, and they can get the book Autistic to Artistic, which is just a magnificent read. I would highly recommend it for anyone, but particularly for people with kids, particularly if you've got some kids who you're concerned about meeting their milestones, then, then it's an absolute must-get and a must-read. But I think for anyone who just wants to understand a more holistic philosophy on life, then there's some absolute beautiful lessons in there from you, Leah. So thank you so much for that book. Um, otherwise, if they want to follow Leah, you can find her on Facebook. You can find her, which is just Leah Follett, on Instagram at leah.follett. Yeah. Um, and you can share in this amazing journey that she's going on. She's just going ahead in leaps and bounds. She's written a book. <laughs> she's coaching. She's doing amazing, amazing things in the world. And there's plenty more to come. So thank Aww, you again for coming beautiful. on, Leah. Oh, I appreciate your time. And for letting me ear bash you. And I'm so happy that now you have to listen to my constant ear bashing and dribble. And uh -huh. you can read about it as well. Look at it's that. Isn't that? Isn't that's it? so helpful. How good is that? <laughs> so until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com. And let's help grow the Paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week 
on that paleo show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.